Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. Making a short should be an easy enough thing, right? That's what I thought when I initially made the decision that this would be the year that I would finally shoot my own. After my first year working at No Film School, I had seen a plethora of short films at festivals around the country, and often found myself thinking, heh, I could do so much better. And now, I'm beginning to see that it is a lot, a lot harder than I initially expected. After about seven months of pre-production for my short The Guy, I'm finally rounding the corner to production date. I've gone through a lot. From losing a co-director to ultimately realizing no matter who I hire, the main producer would have to be myself, there are a lot of things that I wish I'd done differently. There are also a lot of things that I'm happy about. But even more than both of those, there are a lot of things that I'm realizing are completely out of my control. And I think that's part of it. I first met with director-producer Hughes William Thompson a few months ago. My DP Adam Gundersheimer recommended I get in touch with him when I was struggling to keep the project moving forward. Once I watched his ingenious short, Horn, I realized this dude would absolutely know what he's talking about. I invited him onto the show today to discuss exactly what it takes to get your short idea off the ground and into production. I hope you can learn a thing or two from our conversation, and that goes doubly for all my fellow first-time filmmakers out there. In the immortal words of some guy, the struggle is real. Hey everybody, I am John Fisco and I'm here with Will Thompson. He is my friend, I'd say, at this point. I would say so. Well. <laughs> yep. Uh, a director, a producer. Um, Will, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, um, yes, I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Um, so I am a director. I... Um, Started out kind of um, at an early age being really excited about movies and Mm -hmm. kind of the magic of making movies and like what that impact can have on people and an audience. Um, So when I was really young, I actually started out acting Mm. and kind of doing some child acting and what were you were you in any shows or I was not I was not quite at that level. Okay, just uh, a little more local. Um, I did a lot of classes and improv and mm. some comedy and like you know theater and just kind of a mixed bag of stuff mm. um, but that's that was exciting to me I think at a young age because you can play these characters mm-hmm. um, and be someone who you aren't mm-hmm. so um, started off there and just kind of slowly started gravitating towards the other side of the camera mm. and found that I was more interested in being the one who kind of creates the world and the context for those characters to inhabit. Totally. Something that I'm going through kind of now myself. Right. Um, I'd say, cause I went to, I went to NYU for acting and realized like really I was more interested in, t- in the world building and sort of, uh, uh, how I can visually tell these stories that I was coming up with in my head rather than, yes. I don't know, acting them out per se. Right. Um, right. So then you went to NYU, correct? For, was it for film or? I did. I went to NYU uh, Tisch uh, School of the Arts for a film um, and uh, met a lot of great kind of collaborators there who I still work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really good experience in, in that regard for sure. Um, just kind of being together with a lot of like-minded um, kind of film people mm-hmm. and creative people and um, learning a lot from them and just being able to work together mm-hmm. um, in a really long-lasting relationship has been a good kind of thing I've taken from it. I've often heard that that's the most rewarding part of film school for the people I've interviewed that have gone to film school. 
Would yes, you agree? Yeah. I would definitely agree. Um, obviously, you know, the courses were, were very valuable as yeah, well. True. Um, and great professors and a lot of them who I still keep in touch with and, mm. um, you know, kind of mentors as well in that mm. kind of way. Um, but today, you know, it's just like those that, – that's the community that I'm plug, like, I initially plugged into and I'm still plugged into. Right. Um, so that I've taken a lot of value out of. Mm, totally. Something that I wish I had, I guess, too. But uh, for those of us who don't have that, that's kind of, I guess, what I'm trying to explore on this podcast. Um, I'm currently in pre-production for my first short film. It's called The Guy. Um, and I didn't go to film school. Uh, everything I've learned about film has pretty much been in the year and a half uh, that I've been at no film school. And I was just explaining to Will earlier, you know, like talking to, I don't know, I hope that all of you have listened to many of our episodes. But for me, what's been most valuable about working here have been these conversations that I've had with filmmakers, had with people like Will, where I've really gotten a chance to learn, you know, what they've gone through, the sort of mistakes they've gone through, or the uh, successes that they've gone through that helped uh, progress their career in a way. So with that in mind, I thought that we would talk a bit about pre-production and what it takes to get you to the point where, you know, you have a script, you have an idea, and now you're ready to shoot it. Uh, What steps can you take to ensure that you have a smooth shoot? So I guess the the first question that I I have for you, Will, um, is when you have an idea and and you want to write it, do you sort of limit your your the scope of your project to match the short medium? Uh, do you write something that is simple, not a lot of locations, or do you kind of just write what you want to write, no matter what the limitations are? When it uh, when it comes to short films, I think my philosophy has evolved yeah. on that approach and on that subject. Good to know. Um, you know, when I when I started, I mean, really, it's like talking about like my even my thesis film that I did uh, in college. Mm-hmm. That was something where I really didn't think much about the logistics and like the practicalities mm-hmm. in terms of what I was writing. Um, not I really wasn't thinking about that all that much. I mean, there are a couple of things that I um, knew I had access to, but it wasn't really steering me in terms of what I should write. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of an exercise in... <laughs> Uh, pain and suffering because okay. it's um, it's really hard with a short film because there's really not inherently a lot of budget most of the time. It, there's not inherently profitable. No, so, it's, it's not a sexy uh, sort of project, I'd say. That's what I was, I was trying to explain or I was talking to someone earlier today and I was like, I'm, I'm looking for backers. I'm looking for people that will help me. But ultimately, there's like no payoff for anyone who actually wants to uh contribute to your project in a financial sense, I'd say. The the payoff is the artistic fulfillment. Exactly. And the people involved in in it are, you know, usually doing it because they're excited about this project particularly mm-hmm. or because they are a great friend of yours. Yeah. Um, or, or something of that kind. It's it's sort of like an investment in the person rather than the film itself when you're investing when you're backing a short film because you're putting your trust that that person might, you know, go on to make something of their career essentially. And they need a jumping off point. Um, right. 
So then back to this idea of shaping a short when you're first writing it to more benefit the short's medium as far as like keeping it simple. Would you say that you you do that now or I would say I I'm a lot more cognizant of what I already have access to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and making use of that as much as you can. I mean with uh my latest short film Horn. Mm-hmm. That was really what I was keeping in mind okay. was I knew what kind of film I wanted to make. Um, and I knew what the tone I, I wanted was. I knew kind of what sorts of characters and what sorts of um, detail and uh, narrative that I sort of wanted to, to play with. I kind of had those things in mind. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of thought about what do I have access to? Um, what are sort of the built-in resources that I can get for free or um, somehow wheel and deal to get, um, you know, in many cases, get production value um, without kind of throwing a dart and saying, oh, well, I want, you know, this really needs to be on a Ferris wheel. So in the case of Horn, what were those resources that you were able to uh, use to help you with your production value at a a budget? So I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, Mm -hmm. and... I knew one of the things I knew I wanted to do with this film was to create this sort of southern gothic landscape. And I have a lot of um, extended family who live in rural areas outside of Atlanta. And having visited them over many years, I thought naturally of those kinds of spaces. Um, And it kind of occurred to me that that would be a great avenue to explore is can I get favors from you know either family or friends of these family members who maybe have a trailer park yeah. or something like that um, that I can just kind of have access to for free right? or for extremely, extremely cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it was just like, how do you frame that too? Like, what are you doing? And how do you kind of, pr- how do you speak about what you're doing to those types of resources and those people who may want to, you know, you want to use their space or you want to use... Um, you know, something that they have to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll, I'll jump in here with like my own experience. I went to, uh, my short is going to be filming in Chesapeake Bay region in, in Maryland. And we literally, uh, rented a car, drove up and down the entire coast of the Chesapeake Bay, stopping in every town that we could, did some research about, you know, which diners to target, um, to have conversations with people. And I think that those conversations are so much more important than I had really clued into before going down there. Um, they ended, it ended up being okay for me, uh, but but it's just so important to like sit down. And I, I talked with this the owner of this diner for about an hour and a half and I just listened to him. And he's kind of, you know, he's a character himself. And eventually after you know really somehow being able to describe what it is that i do what i'm looking forward to in life and what this film is about he agreed to give me his location uh for free essentially he said he didn't want any money he just wanted to back uh the arts um and this is just some guy some guy in rural maryland uh who owns a diner and has owned a diner for 20 odd years uh now, whether or not he's actually going to respond now, his communication has kind of dropped off. But that's something that, again, you have to be aware of uh, in pre-production is that a lot of this is like motivating other people to uh, fulfill 
your needs, but also making them feel as if they're part of the project, right? Yeah, I think I do think that's sort of it can be a bit of a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on what you're um, going after. I mm-hmm. think. Um, I think that definitely, especially when it comes to crew. Yeah, I mean that's one thing which I think is very easy to kind of um, get them excited about is because they're all, they're in the industry in some regard usually. Yeah, um, and. The reason they'll work on it is because they're excited to work on this project, as I was saying, um, or work with you or um, just have the opportunity to collaborate. Yes. Um, So that's something that I think is extremely valuable is kind of showing them why this is an exciting project to work on. Totally. Um, I think that can definitely be the case with location owners or um, people where it's like, oh, I need this very specific large prop. Yeah. Where am I going to get that? Like, where am I going to get like a car hauler? Yeah. That was one detail that we really wanted for Horn was to have um, this large kind of like really massive car hauler. Yeah. And we were thinking, where can we possibly obtain that? Obviously, we cannot rent such a thing. Yes. Um, And so it's kind of like with some of those things, you can get people excited in a weird way. And Hmm. they'll say, sure, yeah, you want to put in a movie? I got a car car hauler. (laughs) Yeah, It's going to be in a movie? I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are all excited about like, you know, actually having some part of their life featured in a movie, I think, too. Yes. Um, Which is something that, you know, you shouldn't exploit, but like... That's great. I mean, that motivation should help you feel excited about your movie too, right? And, you know, so so with this car hauler, where did you get it eventually? You know, we started off looking all over the place. I mean, we did start looking on Craigslist. Um, and there's mm. some amazing um, options yeah. on Craigslist in uh, South Georgia and Middle Georgia, I will say. But um, it, in the end, we got it from one of our actors who was a truck driver. There you go. As well. Yeah. And he, ha- we kind of mentioned it in passing to him. This is one of those weird things that just kind of snapped in where he said, okay, yeah, so this is kind of what the scene's about. And, you know, there's going to be this, this car hauler mm-hmm. in, um, sort of in the scene. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, you know, I, I'm a truck driver. I, I have one of those. Do you want me to bring it? <laughs> And we were just kind of all looked at each other and said, um, yes, please. Yeah. Um, so that was one kind of bizarre little twist of fate. Yeah. So it's interesting because that reminds me of my project right now. Um, I'm Right now I'm going back and forth between these two actors to play uh, one of the leads. And it's... It's so in, like it's so weird because I know I want one one of them I went to school with and I was very close with and I would love the opportunity to work with him and I think he's just perfect for this part. Um, the problem is he's only available in the first week of October, uh, whereas this other actor is available in the first week of November, which is sort of like a better uh, a better date for the production itself. In addition, this actor who can uh, be in the project in November has a motorcycle, which is something that I need as a prop for my for my short. And it's not a very big prop, um, but for me, this sort of internal debate of like which is more valuable to the production has been a huge conflict. Um, what do you, <laughs> this is, I guess, just a personal question. What would you go with if you were me? Would you go with the actor with the motorcycle that would sort of give us a little bit more leeway uh, in terms of the time of production? Or would you go with the actor that you're close with and that you actually want to work with? I think that kind of comes down to what, like as a director, what do you think you can get out of the 
actor that is you're, you're less close with. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that you can explore that a little more mm. and see if you see the potential to be just as effective with this guy? Totally. Than, um, than the, the guy who's more of a friend? Because um, I think that's one thing that I've always found and is always kind of strange to me every time is you have a lot of um, expectations and you have a lot of kind of this underlying um, – maybe not political stuff, but you have like a lot of notions about like what it will be like to work with this one person or what it would be like to shoot this one scene um, or, you know, kind of your feeling in the moment mm-hmm. before, right beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you've done it and you see the footage, that's that's all there is now. Right. It's just the footage. Yeah. So all of that stuff, all of those like kind of um, fears or expectations are now completely irrelevant because mm. now it's just these these clips. Um, so if you feel like you can get what you need in camera with yeah. this guy, this kind of guy you're less close with with the motorcycle, mm-hmm. um, then that's just as good. Great. Answers my question. <laughs> um, so here's, I guess, piggybacking off of that. In pre-production, going on the scout with my DP, he was like, I mean, there were a number of conversations that we had when I was like, oh, this is exactly how I pictured it. Or like, this isn't exactly how I pictured it. And my DP was getting a little frustrated with me because, you know, I'm a first time filmmaker and he was just like, you're not going to get exactly what you want. So do you have any advice for, you know, making these switches, even though it's like if you have a picture in your head, uh, sort of accommodating uh, with the resources you have to serve your vision? It's a poorly worded question, but I think you understand what I'm getting at. I do. Yeah. I think um, like one of the most like selfish, personal kind of motivations of a, of a filmmaker or director is to like constantly be trying to get closer to that vision mm-hmm. with every project. Mm. Um, and... I do think that many times, like one of the first earlier kind of projects that a filmmaker might do, it's um, it can be disappointing because it isn't exactly what you envision, right? For whatever number of reasons, um, and you know, I definitely struggle with that. Um, and you kind of go in, especially if it's something that's very specific, and the tone is really specific, and the mood is really specific. Um, you can feel a little bit dismayed when you feel like this isn't really quite right. Like there's something a little off about what I wanted from this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing to keep in mind at every turn, because it's just going to be total chaos and pandemonium on set, yeah. um, is to remember sort of the big strokes, like remember what that overarching kind of tone is, like what you want that overarching impact to be, mm-hmm. and working with the moving pieces within that. Mm. And to say, okay, you know what? The uh, motorcycle bailed out on us today on the day when we're shooting it. Mm-hmm. What else can we do that will channel that same idea mm-hmm. or hit that same note um, that we have access to to replace with? Mm. Um, and a lot of it's just like kind of riding on the fly mm-hmm. like that. So then what would you say uh, is a way to sort of prepare for those moments in pre-production? I think to expect that everything will go wrong. Okay. I mean, it's totally Murphy's Law. Yeah. That's real. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, things will go wildly wrong. <laughs> and many times I've just been shocked about, like, I can't believe <laughs> that happened. <laughs> or it's like, wow, I mean, that actor was so confident that they were going to show up today. Yeah. 
um, or whatever it is. And just to kind of have the mindset that like, it'll be a kind of a bonus if this stuff goes as I expect. Yeah. And if it doesn't, maybe there are some kind of backup ideas um, that could kind of come into play. Um, I mean, definitely one of the biggest enemies that I've always found is just time mm-hmm. on the day. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to to lose track of it. And it's, I mean, obviously you'd want like an AD to be there with you to help you kind of stay on a schedule. Mm-hmm. But that's the biggest thing is you want, you always kind of want a little bit more like, let's just do it again. Like let's, I'm sure we can do it one more time. It'll kind of feel more right to me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just really thinking about what you need mm-hmm. as well. Um, in advance. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's a shot list or whatever it is um, that you have and you have versions of that where it's like, oh, well, it would be great to get this shot also, but I can make it work without it. Cool. Do you think that a storyboard or uh, just a sort like the process of storyboarding, the process of, uh, I don't know, any sort of like visual aids prior to the actual shooting, how necessary are those things for production? I mean, I know, I think shot lists are super important, right? But I've started like drawing my own storyboards and I'm a terrible drawer and it's super time consuming. And with all the other shit on my plate, as far as like producing this film, I'm not sure it's worth it for me to like continue drawing out every single shot that I see in my head. Is that something that you would agree with? Or do you think that storyboarding is sort of an absolute necessity? The last time I actually storyboarded was probably for my my thesis short film from college. Okay, um, which I it was a, it was a good exercise for me, and just because it really kind of lets you see what, what it will look like when you get to the edit. Totally, when you get to post, you can almost like mm. see the thumbnails of your clips there. Yeah, and say okay, these can cut together, and there's like definitely a benefit for from an editorial perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the main, really what I think the main kind of thing on set that a storyboard or a shot list is useful for is to communicate to everyone else what you're doing. Right. Um, so that there's as little confusion as possible across the board with the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, definitely the thing about things going wrong and locations bailing out or whatever happens or it's like, oh, well, today they decided to um, put this industrial freezer um, in the corner we were going to shoot in. So what do we do now? Yeah. And it's sort of like your storyboards are now not as accurate anymore. Right. Um, and for that reason, I think that's why I've, st- I've kind of gone more to shot listing mm-hmm. um, because you still have to have a little wiggle room there and because um, things like that come up and they happen. Yeah. Um, definitely if it's like a high kind of action, high blocking kind of Sequence storyboarding is really useful, so you get all those little pieces. So maybe you could storyboard certain sequences rather than the whole film itself? I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, if there's sequences that are, are very demanding of blocking mm-hmm. um, or there's complicated camera moves and you just really need to be able to visualize that yeah. and show that to other people, I think that's very valuable. For me, it's been a, like a useful – the little that I've done has been really useful just because I've been, I am a first-time filmmaker and actually – you know, but I've I've written a lot, and I so I wrote the screenplay for this uh, short that I'm doing. But I didn't realize until I started storyboarding how many shots were in like this one single scene or like this one page. You know, uh, so it was helpful for me to just get a sort of scope on the entirety of the project and how actually like 
difficult it would be to shoot these things um, that I'd written on paper, but I hadn't really fully visualized in a, in a, in a very concrete, um, I don't know, sense, I guess. So now jumping back to, uh, you know, you have your script. Um, how do you know when you're ready to shoot it? You know, I suppose, I mean, I guess from like when you're ready to start pre-producing yeah it, well, like what raising exactly what like you know it's because it's a huge effort so how do you know that this short is the one that you should be doing or you know uh if it's a high budget i mean you can do you can do a lot of uh little shorts or little uh videos or whatever but there are certain there are others that are more high concept and um yeah for those ones how do you know that it's worth it i guess is what i'm asking I mean, I think you just have to. I mean, very generally, I think you just have to gauge if you're excited about it. If you if you feel like you want to show this film to people, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what I um, use to gauge that a little bit in a very general, big picture way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I did another short before Horn that's called A New Man, that is um, much more um, accessible <laughs> narratively. And it's a little more kind of straightforward. Um, and that was one where I, um, I adapted it from a short story. And I responded to the short story. And I said, I would like to see this as a film, mm-hmm. essentially. And that's kind of what drove me to do the adaptation and pursue it um, and go and shoot it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt very confident uh, about the script because it was based on something mm. um, so I didn't actually have to question myself as a writer as much because I could almost feel like I had a bit of distance from it that I could say, I already enjoyed this as an audience member. Yeah. Um, so I have that kind of confidence to say, I I want to see this made. I think it's ready to go. Um, let's find some money for it and let's start doing it. So then who is the first person you ask uh, to be a part of your team? I would find a producer of some sort mm-hmm. um, what type of producer because I, I let's run through what producers you need to make a short um and then the first one that you want so go ahead you don't have to have a producer right <laughs> but it's much preferred if you yeah, do yeah um if you can if you can get a little bit of space between you as a creative person as a director um from all of those logistics and those demands and budgeting and schedule, that is really helpful Mm -hmm. from a creative um, standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is possible, of course, to produce it yourself, and you're just sort of having to juggle all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is very difficult. So if you can find a producer who is excited about the project, um, who is, you know, maybe it's a friend of some kind, Mm -hmm. um, who would want to collaborate with you naturally, or maybe it's someone who you've kind of seen other work that they've done, maybe some of the shorts um, or whatever it is um, that may kind of be in the same wheelhouse of, of their taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something definitely worth pursuing and kind of approaching them with, even if it's a cold call. So what do you expect from that producer in terms of work reasonably? <laughs> well, it can get tricky on a short film, especially if uh, this person is unpaid or low paid. Yeah. Um, because... By and large, it's um, you know it's a passion project most of the time, and they will probably be passionate, but 
at the end of the day, a short film is really a director's kind of calling card. Yeah. And it, it really serves the director or the writer um, most. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, sometimes tough to, you know, get the producer to meet you at that level of enthusiasm and dedication. <laughs> totally. Um, so what can you, like, expect, I guess? You know, like, because I'm, I'm in that position right now where uh, I, you know, I hired I hired a producer pretty quickly off the bat once I got some initial investment and then that producer kind of ended up not really taking on what I thought the amount of work they should take on so I pretty much ended up being like okay I'm going to do everything myself um how do you avoid that <laughs> right um I mean I think one way is just to try and really lay out the expectations in advance with mm-hmm. them like what what do they feel that they are willing to commit to for um, an unpaid position yeah. or close to that. Yeah. Um, are they, do they, you know, at the at the beginning of the process say, don't worry about that. I'm going to handle um, SAG. I'm going to like deal with kind of the actors. I'm going to help you with casting. Um, we're going to like, we're going to schedule all that together. Um, you know, I'll help you find locations. I will, um, deal with insurance, like anything like that. If they, if you can kind of have that discussion about like, what can I expect of you? I know this is a passion project. I know you're doing lots of other things and you're a busy person. Yeah. Um, but I want to make this film and I want to do it properly. And I, you know, I really don't want to end up with stuff that slipped through the cracks because either I thought you were going to do it or you thought I was going to do it. Yeah. And then when that does happen, no one does it and you waste about two weeks because you're just waiting for the other person to do it. Right. Because um, there can also be um, this like kind of vicious dead cycle that can come up where you're being respectful of them because they said, I'm going to be a, I'm going to produce this for you. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, OK, well, here's our shoot date. It's in three weeks from now. We don't have any locations. And you told me at one point that you had a bunch of leads and you were going to pursue those. Yeah. Um, so now another week has gone by. I haven't heard back from you about that. Are you still doing that? Yeah. Or do I need to, you know, override and take this on? Yeah. Like that's that can happen and time can get wasted and it's like you just want to be very in open communication. Right. <laughs> Even if it's a little bit like, hey, sorry, like I know you said you're going to do that. Are you still doing it? Totally cool if not. Yeah. Because now we just have to do it. Yeah, cuz now you know, you just need to know someone's going to do it, you know. Yes. So you have this producer, you have your script, you're building a team. What is the bare bones team necessary to make a short? Bare bones in a way that the short is still running smoothly and effectively, and you'll get a good production quality out of it. I think it does vary a little bit on the kind of film it is or on the demands of the script. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, for something like... um, for something like A New Man, yeah, my short, um, what we really needed was talent, the actors. Um, we needed a uh, cinematographer. We needed uh, lighting, whether that's that means a gaffer comes on. Ideally, yes. Yeah. Um, sound, we did need. Crucial. Uh, definitely crucial. Can't have a bad sounding movie. Right, and that can often kind of go by the wayside. Yes. Like, oh, the sound is fine. Yeah. It'll happen. I, I, it, it really, I mean, I've never made a short, and it astonishes me how many times I hear, you know, that sound was kind of the last thing thought about in a production, and then 
you get to post and you don't have a movie because your sound is bad. <laughs> it's right. like unusable. Right. And that's something even to consider on the day. Is there going to be a lot of sound snafus that are worth dealing with and stopping for to deal with? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, what is that? What is this noise that keeps coming up? Like, what is that? We have to stop and find that and stop it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or else it's going to be in your movie. Exactly. Um, that's one thing that can easily just kind of come up and like as a strange, unexpected annoyance on the day where it's like, oh, we have to stop for sound. <laughs> but yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, and I would say production, a production designer of some kind or an art director, um, I think when it comes to something where you don't have a lot of money and you're trying to get the most out of that, it's how can you put all of the money in front of the camera? Yeah. Whether it's with actors or production design, um, lighting, mm-hmm. you know, like that kind of thing, I think is totally where you should sort of be looking to place your variables. This is definitely something we, we've talked about before, just in private conversations. Uh, you know, you have a certain amount of money for the budget, um, and production design is really such a great place to use the majority of that budget. Of course, it's probably like the hardest place to put money into initially especially when you're you know you have to take into account locations you have to take into account these favors um who's going to work for free who's willing to work to sort of uh make the movie look better rather than get any uh monetary compensation for it which is tough uh especially if you don't know any crew members um, I'm like, I go through the, I'm going through the exact opposite of you where I don't know very, very many crew members, so I can't really afford not to pay them. Um, I can pay them a reduced rate, but I do know a lot of actors and I know they're great and they're my friends and they want to do this to just be in something that I'm working on. So again, it's like where you have these resources, uh, how you can sort of better use them to put the money that you have in a position where it will be on camera and be seen, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's also true of costumes. I mean, anything that you see, mm-hmm. um, I would say that is really worth, that's really worth you know, spending that money on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, it depends on the script, of course, and what the demands. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if it's something that's meant to feel natural, you want to make sure that you have what you need so it does feel natural. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Um and even in in, uh, in Horn, like we had a lot of kind of big set pieces that I, I said, this is worth spending the money. Mm-hmm. It's worth spending the money on uh, the deer, you know, because that's such a key part of this movie. And it's a real visual element. And let's let's actually spend a good chunk of the budget on that versus catering. And for you listeners out there. Uh, we'll put Horn, we'll put the short in the uh, article accompanying this podcast. So be sure and check it out. It's great. My final question is going to be something that I'm struggling with right now. Of course, I'm struggling with all this because making making a movie is it's it's insane, people. Um, I'm just I've I've realized that it's a massive undertaking, and it can be easy to be like, oh, okay, you know, I'm not ready to do this. Um, let me push the shooting date back. Uh, is that ultimately pushing the shooting date back several times? Is that something that happens all around, like everywhere? Or is that something that you kind of just have to eventually be like, okay, no, this is the date. 
we're doing it here. Doesn't matter if we're quote unquote ready or not. My position is that it would always be nice to have a month longer. So when are you actually going to buckle down and shoot the thing? You know, I think there's a lot um, of value in essentially putting a date down and saying this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're saying to everyone, you're saying to the location people, you're saying to the actors, you're saying to everyone, um, the crew who is like you know needing to know exactly when things are happening in advance. Um, this is our date. And at some point, it becomes really hard to move it because all those people have taken the time out for that date. Yeah. And you risk either major delays by wanting to change the date because people become unavailable for more for weeks after that or whatever it is. Um, or the locations bail out and there's like a window of time you have to use. Mm-hmm. Any number of things can kind of interlock like that that will kind of force you into that date. But I think it is really important to and as kind of painful as it can be and uh, as scary as it can be, commit to a date because, yes, um, if you don't have money and you have time, that's better. Yeah. But if you uh, kind of keep abusing that, then you don't have a movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you'll you find any number of things to say, well, we didn't quite get uh, this one little thing yet, so we'll just push it back by a week. Yeah. Ultimately, I feel like it ends up stressing you out more you know in that sense yeah um if you like keep going keep pushing and then you have to be the bearer of bad news to all these you know people that you're hardly paying any money to these people that are doing you a favor and you keep sort of blocking their schedule from getting any other projects it sucks it's um it's rough but at the same time you're like oh but i'm not ready yet so that that whole conflict because you, you also, I don't think there's a point where you ever feel like everything is ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can uh, embrace that, and there is, I mean, there really is uh, sort of an improvisational feel in some way about making a movie. Totally. Because there's so many crazy variables that are all these moving parts that um, you'll be waiting forever if you're hoping that they're all going to align perfectly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Great. Well, well, thanks for coming in today. Um, My pleasure. Will's short horn will be in the podcast uh, post. He has a feature coming out soon. I don't know if you want to plug that at all. That's correct. Uh, I shot a feature uh, last year that's called The Divorce Party. Um, that should be um, coming out in the next uh, couple months to a year or so. Um, so... Uh, Check that out. Check that out when it comes out. Maybe we'll have him back on the show when it does. Um, I'm John Fusco. My project, The Guy, if you want to learn any more about it, um, it's all on Kickstarter. I got a really weird Kickstarter video and description and everything. And this is going to be the final week of our Kickstarter campaign. We're, uh, We're doing okay. It's, I mean, that's another thing we didn't really even get into is, uh, crowdfunding or, you know, um, raising funds for your short. If you are doing one that is a little bit more ambitious, um, you know, we didn't get into insurance. We didn't get into a lot of things, but we got to end it at some point, just like we got to shoot a film at some point. And, uh, so yeah, check that out. Check out my Kickstarter, give anything you can or you want to. And, uh, yeah. Thanks. Will. <laughs> thank you. I'm excited to see your film. Uh, thank you. Thanks for listening. And thanks to my guest, Hughes, William Thompson, You can find his awesome short horn as well as a link to my Kickstarter in the post accompanying this podcast. 
Stay tuned for Indie Film Weekly this Thursday. And if you like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe, plus show us some love on iTunes. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim and our whole little website at No Film School. Thanks and see you Thursday.